This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Father in heaven, I am so thankful that you are a wonderful God. Uh, I'm thankful that you are relentless, deeply relentless in your pursuit of our souls. Trying to give us joy, trying to re- pull away the blinders that Satan has put up on the true beauty of your character and your love and your ways. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would use me as, as an instrument to share truths about uh, education and about how we are to live. And I pray that you will open each heart to hear your voice speaking to them specifically, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, this is our sixth and final session. And uh, wanted to start out with a, uh, as we've done with our other sessions, with a testimony. Uh, But this one, rather than inviting someone in, I'm going to read some quotes and have some other folks give a testimony about Madison College. So we'll start with Ellen White giving a testimony uh, how many think if you heard a testimony from Ellen White, that would be a good thing, right? This is a way to, way to start, okay. So the, the work that laborers have accomplished at Madison has done more to give a correct knowledge of what an all-around education means than any other school that has been established by Seventh-day Adventists in North America. Now, how would you like that said about your school? If you're a principal or a president, that would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? All right, and then... The Lord has given these, what's that word there? Teachers. This is is kind of interesting because as I read through this, I initially didn't word the, I put the word students in there because sometimes we read what we expect to see. So the Lord has given these teachers in the South an education that is of the highest value and that it is a training that God would be pleased to have all of our youth receive. So that's kind of interesting, isn't it? The teachers receive this training that he would love all to have. Uh, In another place, she says, the class of education given at the Madison School is such as will be accounted a great treasure, a treasure of great value by those who take up missionary work. And closes this by, we as a people would become a spectacle to the world to what? To angels and to men. Now, does that sound familiar at all? That's kind of a theme of GYC, and it really fit in here well. That if we were to turn, if our schools would really embrace true education, it would change our whole church. So that's really what she's trying to say. We'll we'll get to that. So now here's some things that happen. Uh, She's describing it a little bit here. Much acceptable work has been done at Madison. The Lord says, go forward. Your school is to be an example of how Bible study, general education, physical education, and sanitarium work may be combined in many smaller schools that shall be established in simplicity in many places in the southern states. One of the principles of true education is replication. That means that God wants more of these schools, not less of them. So... 
get these small schools started, learn the principles of true education, and take it and grow and build. And that's actually one of the signs of a successful school is to do that. And Madison had done that. In a Reader's Digest article in 1938, said this about the school. Madison Rural Sanitarium, which was the sanitarium arm, is the institute's most important industry. Students get practical training in the process of earning their degree. Now what they talk about in this article, uh, and the title is Self-Supporting College, they were absolutely amazed at a college where students could go there and work their bill off. They would start out by depositing $30 when they walked in the door, and when they left, they would get their deposit back. Amen. Right? Okay. And, and so, I mean, with now, in, in one of our previous sessions, we recognized that student loan debt in America is higher than credit card debt. We recognize now that it's over a trillion dollars in combined debt in the United States, student loan debt. Amazing. And, and could it be that we could have schools that have work involved in it, an industry and a business model that actually helps students to not gain so much debt, if any. And that's what they were doing. 60 acres of garden, 70 acres of fruit, two greenhouses, the article continues. The student's canning factory puts up enough vegetables to feed the students year round. Students work five hours and study five hours daily year-round. So what they were doing at Madison were things that were different than the schools around them. Now, is that a shock? I guess it shouldn't be because they're getting different results. When you, get, when you do things differently, you get different results. So if we were to take a look at the future of Adventist education, um, you know, there's, there's some times when we just wonder where Adventist education is going. Some of the things we see happen. And there's times when we recognize that they are doing a great ministry. These are our different Adventist schools. And, and the big question is, where do they go? Where are they going? Lord, what's going to happen? So, of course, I'm no prophet. I'm not prescient, can't see into the future. But what we can do is we can read Spirit of Prophecy and see what Spirit of Prophecy has to say. And then try to understand as best we can, where is Seventh-day Adventist going? Where should it be going? So I want to take you to Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 290, and take a look at this. Our institutions of learning may swing into worldly conformity. Step by step, they may advance to the world, but they are prisoners of hope. Amen. Now, and God will correct and enlighten them and bring them back to their what? Upright position of distinction from the world. This is God's call. That's God's direction. He wants them to be distinct and different. And I don't believe he wants us to be distinct and different, to be distinct and different. But he recognizes when there's a different goal, 
there's a different method. If we're going to Dallas, it's a different road than if we're going to Atlanta. Now, may, we may start out on the same road, since we're here in Orlando, and then we might split, right? But we can't drive that same road and expect to get to a different place. We need to be different. So, um, I want to pull up an illustration, and uh, uh, I, I brought this out in an earlier one. I want to expand on it a little bit and, and give a little more detail because I, I want to get very specific, much more specific than I did before, about the role of students and their role in changing Adventist education. Because I believe students it is where the power is. Any, listen, it, this is the truth, talking to the students, any good teacher, any good administrator listens to students. Students, to a great degree, help run what's going on. Now, they don't realize that, and it's probably good in some respects that they don't, but they really do. They have a huge influence on what happens at the school. It's huge. In fact, even when a, uh, uh, there was a school that was like a running machine, and it just ran the same program over and over every year, the same staff, and year after year, it would just do the same thing, the same thing. And I talked with the principal. principal said, some years I can't wait for the year to get over. Some years I don't ever want it to end. It's the students. The students make a huge impact on what happens. So think about this. We have this loving God, and does God want to reach the world? Right? I mean, that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to just reach Seventh-day Adventists. He wants to reach the world. So his desire is to reach the world, and so he has built in his strategy that he wants the church to be blessed so they could reach the world. And in some of our seminars, we've recognized that educational institutions were part of God's plan to awaken the church to the last great effort to save the perishing. This, to awaken the church, we'll look at a quote right after this, and that young people can inspire these educational institutions, that enough young people saying, this is what we want, starts to change the way administrators and teachers look at what they do. And so how do you get a mass of students by doing that? Well, you start with small groups of students. And how do you get small groups of students? Well, you have student leaders. And where do the student leaders get their information? Well, they study the prophets. And they learn to know and obey the prophets. And they begin the change of the world. That's, that's how that happens. That's how God reaches the people through this path. So check this out. The church is languishing for the help of young men young men and women, right, who will bear a courageous testimony and who, with their ardent zeal, stir up the what? 
The sluggish, what does sluggish mean? Anyone taken a nap recently, like over the last day or week or month or something? And then after that, now see, if I take a 15 minute nap, I can wake up and I can roll, okay? If, I ta if it starts to go past 25, you know, I, I'm a, like a nap connoisseur, you know? Okay, maybe not. Okay, but if I do like a two hour version where I'm trying to get rid of the sickness or something, I wake up and I am, I think that word fits, sluggish. Do you know what I'm talking about? What is it, what is it like when your brain is sluggish? Yeah, yeah, like if my wife comes, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to do this or this? It's like, oh, I don't really want to think right now, you know. Right, you're right? Is that kind of what sluggish is? Is our church sluggish? Did Elder Wilson just tell us something we already knew about Revelation 3? That we are the Laodicean church? Poor, blind, naked, and we're not sure that we even know that. And we know that, and sometimes it's, it's even funny. Now, I guess it shouldn't be. To, to stir up the sluggish energies of God's people, and so the result will be what? Increase the power of the church in the world. Do you see that? Do you see the influence of young people on doing this? And so, but that's not what's happening everywhere. Uh, I used this quote earlier. I'll come back to it. It's found uh, in a Columbia Union article. A. Allen Martin, PhD, didn't mince words, a former professor at the Seventh Adventist Theological Seminary, hit the members of the Columbia Union Executive Committee with stark numbers. Some 60 to 70 percent of young people leave the Seventh day Adventist Church. I wonder if you've heard this before. Have you heard this saying? What's the rest of it? A pound of cure. What's our, what's our cure? That's our prevention, is what I would say. What's our cure? What is it that we spend a lot of money in Adventism trying to convert people? We, we call that evangelism, right? We're trying to get people. That's our cure for the world, essentially, right? Evangelism. And that happens in lots of different ways. Amen. It takes lots of different ways. Our prevention is education. That's our prevention. So Adventist schools may be Adventist education. There's that difference between schooling and education. Schooling focusing on those um, academic subjects and a specific time of life and a, usually doing really well at memory and that's really good at schooling. But what is it to be really good at education? What, what, what would that be like? Someone who was really fit and exercised well, and they read all the time, right? At home, and they're reading, and, uh, and they're out evangelizing, and they know health methods, and, uh, and they, so they, they, their, their goal isn't just to learn and grow so they can be smarter, it's equipping themselves so they can be a blessing to others. 
So it's a different kind of an attitude. Um, recently, uh, Chad Bernard and I worked on an article uh, that uh, is supposed to be published uh, here this month. Uh, it's something like the 10 Essentials of Adventist Education. And uh, we discuss, and it's a very short article. We don't get much chance to uh, get into too much detail on these. But what we tried to do, we sat down and we did a brainstorm of what our, it, it, so we sat down, we prayed, and we said, Lord, there's so much stuff in Adventist education. What are the real core essentials? And so what we did, and I don't know if any of you know how I love to brainstorm, um, we, get, we sat down with some large post-it notes. These things are classic, and I don't own stock in the company, but I love post-it notes. So I took these large post-it notes, and we started with a marker, and we started just listing everything. And so we filled up two or three post-it, these huge post-it notes. You can buy them at Staples. And uh, these huge post-it notes and filled them up with all kinds of things that we saw were uh, uh, powerful indicators of education. So then we... We took that and we resonated on that for a while. Then we took and we, we created this concept map. And so what are these, how do these uh, ideas kind of resonate together? And so we put them and it kind of ended up into about 10. And then we massaged it into exactly 10. We thought that was a good number. Uh, uh, concepts that, that rotate around this idea of true education. How, what are these things to really get a a school resonating uh, and, and really hitting on all cylinders. And of course you need great academics. Of course evangelism needs to be a part of it. Now, how is evangelism part of it? Well, we, we'll talk in a little bit about some of those things. Uh, and how about health? Uh, health, would that be a great piece? Um, with the Spirit of Prophecy talking is uh, guarding the health as much as the character and and relationships. Now, uh, relationships is, is, a, is, a, is a core piece of anything because how do you build trust without relationships, right? And so uh, relationships, quality staff, focus on character, work education, uh, agriculture, spirit of prophecy and Bible, and strong leadership. Um, well, we, we could get into detail on that, but I'll let you read the article, I guess. Uh, if we were to take Adventist education, Adventist schools, and boil them down into what are some of the primary activities that we should be doing, I would, I would love to figure out how to organize schools around three main activities. Maybe we could have a director of each of these activities. And they're based on what Jesus did. Now, how many think that basing a school on Jesus would be probably a pretty good thing, right? You'd get a probably good, a good school. You know, if you're going to follow somebody, that would be the way to go. Okay, so uh, number one, taking this based on, uh, we had talked about the verse in Matthew uh, 4. There's also a verse in Matthew 9, very similar. Uh, and he did what? He did... Teaching, preaching, and healing, okay? So if we had educational activities around teaching, 
preaching and healing, I think that would be, I think it'd be a really full educational program. So if we had a director of teaching, a director of preaching or evangelism, and a, a, a director of healing to have this uh, health ministries, so the students are not only understanding how to be more healthy, they're understanding how to use health as that right arm as part of the evangelism cycle. To, I, I like to think of it in the way of softening the, the community. Health evangelism is a great way to start uh, evangelism or preparing the soil of evangelism. Anybody worked in the soil and tried to pull weeds when the ground was hard? You've done that before, right? Now, in California, when it doesn't rain for a while and you go to pull weeds, it's very awkward because the ground is kind of clay and then it just, and the, like the top will come out, but all that bottom stuff in there just like stays in there. And then, so it's not real successful in pulling weeds. So you really need to soften the ground and start to till it up. And that's what health evangelism can do for us. So that's why I think and as I've been reading, I've been more and more impressed that the city work is really a crucial part of what we need to be doing. We need to be doing this in our churches, especially if we're really trying to pull an end-time school together. We really need to be thinking about how we're doing evangelism work and building our schools around this. The work in the cities is the essential work for this time. And I would say when this was written, it is more so now and is to be taken hold of in faith. When the cities are worked as God would have them, the result will be. Now, what kind of a statement is the result will be? It sounds kind of a causal, right, if-then statement. So if this, the result will be. So how would you like this result, the setting in operation a mighty movement such as we, might, we have not yet witnessed? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Let's, let's, let's go home. That's what we're working for, right? You want know, to be on this world. We are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in our effort to secure country properties. I've seen more and more people trying to move out of the cities and into the country. And uh, we have some friends of ours who are trying to sell their home. And they're praying through this. Lord, help us sell this. We want to move out. And uh, because they're recognizing for their kids growing up and their, their backyard is all cement. And so they have a, so I don't know, I guess, can you call that a back, a back cement? What do you call it? A back patio. Right, so they don't have, they have grass in the front yard, a little strip, so I think he has a weed whacker. That's all he does is kind of do that to cut his grass. But he's ready to move out because, because he needs that nature and that natural experience. He wants that for his children. So where do we do that? How do we do this uh, outpost center thing? Spirit of Prophecy says, in every large city, there should be a core of, well, of organized, well-disciplined workers. Not merely one or two, but scores should be set to work. Right? Brothers and sisters, we, we have to get action. That's what we need. We need to get active. Maybe there's, 
Maybe there's a life on this earth that we get into the whirlwind and we just, we get caught up in it. And, and sometimes do you sense there's another world out there where angels really exist? Do you believe angels are here? And do, do we act as if our angels are with us all the time? How many want that, right? I want that kind of thinking. I want that kind of living. And God needs that to happen. This is what he's looking for. In every, every significant city. Weimar does it this way. San Francisco, uh, Sacramento, Reno, all were within a two-hour drive of Weimar. Start to penetrate the cities. These are the cities. Interestingly enough, they're all three in three different conferences. So, what is the type of work we do? We, we understand the passive work, where uh, we're in the uh, grocery line and we see something, or uh, uh, we're home and there's neighbors, and it's sort of this natural, passive work where we're not necessarily going out after others. They just sort of run in and sort of bump into us. Then there's the active work. Anyone done door-to-door -door work recently, right? Amen. This is character building, isn't it? Have you ever gone out and said, okay, before you go out, has anyone ever said, I don't really want to do that? I mean, you say it to yourself, right? I don't really want, any, just be honest. Anyone said, okay, you're right. Yeah, so you're not alone, okay, those of you who have said that. And then how many have said that at the beginning, and while you're out, even though the doors get slammed, you get, you get that door, that makes all the slams worth it, right? Have you experienced that? Uh, my dear wife went through a program called AFCO. Heard of AFCO before? Okay, uh, in the AFCO program, uh, and, and I was trying to live vicariously through her. I, I said, you know, you really ought to go through this program. It'll be awesome. And she's like, how do I do that? So we, anyway, we figured it out. She stepped out in faith. She's going through the AFCO program. So she's got this partner. She, they're knocking on doors. And uh, so they go to this door, and uh, it says, you know, no soliciting. Don't you love those doors? So they go to the door, knock on the door. They open the door, and, and so they start their spiel, and they go, wait, hold it, hold it. Do you see the sign? No, read the sign. No soliciting. Bam! You know, it's like, oh. Okay, you know, so how are you doing right about that? You know, you're feeling like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, you know. Maybe I could go into another line of work. You know, the AFCO thing wasn't such a good idea. Um, so anyway, they're going through, they're going through. They come to this place, uh, different scenarios. They come to a place, they walk up, and there's a gate at the front yard. And on the gate, what's the sign say? No soliciting. They walk in. On the door, it says... Not beware of dog. Okay, yeah. Uh, no soliciting. And so what do they do? They knock on the door, of course, and wait for it. Here it comes. Knock on the door. And lady comes to the door with a baby in her arms, and they start chatting. And the short version of the story, mom, dad, and the girl get baptized. Amen. Amen. So was that worth it? How many doors would you get slammed in your face to get something like that? To get a family now saying to you, 
thank you. We were at a church and we heard the same sermon every week. They didn't use the whole Bible. You use the whole Bible. This is amazing. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, that's the door-to-door -door work, but there's more. Public meetings. Anyone work in public meetings, right? AFCO's done that too, right? These learning to do public meetings, an important part. Never forget it. It needs to be an important part of this whole process. And centers of influence. I think we talk about centers of influence less than the other two, don't we? Centers of influence. So what are centers of influence? Health food stores, vegetarian restaurants, uh, cooking. I have health food stores twice, fascinating. Um, uh, prison ministries, medical clinics, right? All of these sorts of positive, healthy things that you're making a difference in people's, it's like help ministry organized, right? You're doing things for people, they're coming to you and, and getting a product. And uh, uh, so I, I want to share with you uh, uh, when Ellen White was writing about this uh, city called San Francisco. Ever heard of San Francisco? It was smaller back then. But this is what was happening. There, there are many lines of Christian effort being carried forward by our brethren and sisters in San Francisco. These include visiting the sick and destitute, finding homes for orphans, and work for the unemployed. Amen, right? Nursing the sick and teaching the love of Christ from house to house the distribution of literature. So there's lots of stuff happening in San Francisco. She continues, and the conducting of classes for healthful living and the care of the sick. A school for the children is conducted in the basement of the meeting house. She continues, in another part of the city, a working men's home. So now, if I remember correctly, this is a a place for homeless to sleep, so for homeless. And a medical mission is maintained. On Market Street near City Hall, there's a bath establishment or hydrotherapy treatment center operated as a branch of St. Helena Sanitarium. Now, so what do, you, what do you think about the stuff that's happening in San Francisco? Are they starting to get the sense of this, okay, maybe more than starting to get the sense. They're doing medical missionary work, right? They're doing it. It's happening all over, the, all over the city. She continues, in the same localities, a depot of the health food company, where health foods are not only sold, but instruction is given as to reforms in diet. Health evangelism. Near the center of the city, our people conduct a vegetarian cafe, which is open six days a week and is entirely closed on the Sabbath. Here, about 500 meals are served daily and no flesh meats are used. How, the, how things working in San Francisco? It's like you want to go look and like, yeah, I want to see what they're doing. And they're doing this here. And they're doing this here. Dr. and Mrs. Lamb are doing much medical work for the poor in connection with their regular practice. And Dr. Buchanan is doing much free work at the working men's home. It's happening, I think this is 1903, in San Francisco. It was before the earthquake. And then she writes, after all of this, she writes, we earnestly hope that the steps taken in the future in the work in San Francisco 
will be steps of progress. What is she insinuating? Yeah, do more. Are you sure? The next paragraph clarifies it. The work that has been done there is but a beginning. Now, I was reading that, and I was thinking of San Francisco the size it is now, and I was thinking, wow, they're really rolling. And then I was thinking, wait, this was written 110 years ago. This, this is really rolling, and she's going, guys, you got a great start. Right? This is amazing. I believe that what God wants is he wants Adventist education to be involved in this. I don't think he's thinking this is just church-related stuff and push it off over there. He wants it really, truly integrated. Uh, Adventist education uh, has done several studies to understand itself. Value Genesis 1 and 2 and more recently, cognitive genesis, and uh, starting more value genesis studies. And uh, they've learned a lot about how we're doing and things that we're really proud of and uh, things we need to work on. And uh, cognitive genesis has found several things about students in Adventist schools. They're above average in achievement, above average in ability, above prediction in achievement, above average in prediction in all subjects, all grades, above average for all school sizes. That means the small one-room school and the larger multiple teacher schools. Above prediction at all abilities, that means those who struggle in their ability do well, and those at high end of ability do well as well. Uh, yearly gains in achievement, yearly gains in ability, yearly gains in achievement at ability, given ability levels. There's those, all, unpacking all of those would take longer than we want to take. The point is, there's some really positive things cognitively that are happening out, out of our Adventist schools. And one of the surprising things to many Adventist educators is that enrollment is, is really dropping. And one of the questions is, well, what's really going on? Now, How to Kill Adventist Education, um, in one of their uh, details, gives this, uh, uh, this quote here. Between 1980 and 2005, Seventh-day Adventist church membership in the North American Division increased by 75%. Amen. In that same 25-year period, K-12 enrollment in Adventist schools dropped by nearly 25%. That's not so exciting. And what's even more difficult is the percentage of non-Adventists of enrollment has increased. So the number of Adventists has decreased more than 25%. Uh, when I was when I was in my doctoral program, there was a school reform expert, and I, was, I, had, I had went to Andrews and uh, listened to uh, the uh, director of the North American Division uh, for Education give a talk, and he was saying, we have real challenges in Adventist education, and he showed some of these figures, and he was trying to say, let's figure out what the problem is and let's address it, because we've got... We have schools closing, 
Anyone know of a, a Seventh-day Adventist school that is closed near or around them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's almost half of us. And I said to myself, uh, maybe this guy would have, you know, I'll, I'll discuss it with him. Maybe he understands something. And so I went to talk with him, and I said, you know, we got a real problem. He said, well, what's that? And so we were talking. So I, I, I shared the situation. He goes, uh, you know, that's dropping enrollment. That's not a problem. I said, well, actually, you don't understand because it's really, you know, it's not tied to the state. This is, I mean, that's tuition driven. We can't keep running the schools. He said, that's not a problem. That's a symptom. Have you ever treated a symptom? And, and it doesn't address the problem, and the problem doesn't go away? I had a splinter one time, and uh, I was sanding and, and making a bookshelf. And I'll, I'll save you the gory. And I got a splinter, okay? It wasn't the little one, okay? Uh, I don't know. It was closer to like an inch long. But it got embedded inside, and it broke off, okay? I think, ouch, or something. I said something like that. And... Uh, uh, and so I put a Band-Aid on it, and, I, and so, so it stopped, you know, bleeding, and it, was, it still hurt. And anyone have anything like that? What happens when you do that? It, it works its way out, and it just, it, it couldn't stand that. And my, my body's like rejecting it. It's like, get out of here, very slowly, you know. And one day, it, I got it out. And uh, that was the real problem. The bleeding wasn't the problem. I had to stop the bleeding, but the bleeding wasn't the problem. There was a, there was a deeper cause of the bleeding. So uh, perhaps the question is, do Adventist schools really need to change? And... Uh, I, I think so. You know, and it, I'm from Weimar Institute, and let me be frank with you, Weimar Institute needs to change. Okay? I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody that I, I'm not willing to pick on myself. There was a, there was a research, uh, researcher, Jim Collins, and he wrote a book called Good to Great. Uh, I think it's a fascinating book, and it really, I think, applies very directly here. He did research on companies that were doing well. You know, they, 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 he looked at their stock values, and he watched their stock values, and they were pretty steady. And then somewhere in their history, they hit a spot where they just started to climb. And so he found companies in different businesses in different times, and then he found comparison companies, companies that were, had that same kind of steady climb, but while the other company shot up, this company just stayed in its steady climb. They, they never shot up. And so what he did was he studied these companies, and he threw away all the data that was the same. What he wanted to know was what's different. What's different about the company that 
does well and all of a sudden kicks into high gear and all of a sudden everybody loves the company and the stock value rises through the roof. What's the difference? L let me tell you the first sentence of the book. Good is the enemy of great. He expands the idea just in the first few paragraphs. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools, principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government, principally because we have good government. I'm sure some would argue. Few people attain great lives in large part because it's just so easy to settle for a good life. And then the point that he really wants to make, because this is about companies. And listen to this. Think about the parallel with your life. Think about the parallel with your school, with your education, your family. The vast majority of, and put it in here for you, companies never become great precisely because the vast majority become quite good. And he closes with this. And that is their main problem. If, if we need change in our life, how many are ready to change when things are going well? You know, I, I had a chance to visit a school. I was working with the uh, Seventh-day Adventist uh, Theological Seminary on a grant they were writing. And they were thinking about how do we change what we're doing and making it more friendly. And they heard about this seminary that totally and radically rechanged their, their, their whole approach. And they said, we need to go visit this school. And they said, would you come along with us? And I said, sure. So there was about four or five of us, and we went out to this school, and we looked around and talked to people. And, and the, uh, the leader of the school had a chance to talk with us, and, and he said something, and I, I, I still remember, you know how you like, get some of those aha moments where you still remember you're there? And uh, I remember sitting there and, and listening to him, and he said, there are two key components for radical change in an organization. A burning platform and a compelling vision. With a compelling vision, they don't move until the platform's burning. You, know, you, you understand the platform's burning. This is a, a, a preacher mentality, right? Get off here, it's burning, I'm going, right? That initiates change. Somehow, when something drastic enough in our life happens, all of a sudden, then we're ready for change. Have you seen that happen before? Uh, a good friend of mine, sitting next to him in Sabbath school, he had just gone through, they had taken a, a, a grapefruit-sized abscess out of his gut. He's in his 20s. And uh, so he's sitting here, and we're talking, and like, how you doing? He said, oh, man. This was amazing. And I, I'm like, well, like, what, the recovery or what? He said, the whole process. And I'm like, I, I'm not understanding you because it's like sounding like you're happy it happened. 
he says, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm like, I almost understood, misunderstood you because I thought you said getting this cancer was the, was the best thing that ever happened to you. And he said, absolutely. It made me rethink everything I was doing. Now, anybody interested in having a grapefruit-sized abscess in their abdomen? No, no takers. I totally understand. I don't want that either. Does that what it takes to fire us up to change? Does it take a burning platform like that to do that? Michelangelo. The greatest danger for most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and achieving our mark. So I think our problem might be that Adventist schools are good schools. And I don't think we want good schools. I don't think we want great schools. We want God's schools. We want true education. So the question is, you know, what can you do? What can you do to help? You're a student. You're a teacher. Uh, you're a leader. You're a parent, church member. What can you do? Well... I envision the, the great activities of the human life revolve around the sanctuary. I, maybe that sounds really weird, or maybe that sounds like you guys finally got it, okay? But walking into the holy place, there's three artifacts that represent our great tasks in life. Straight ahead is an altar of incense that represents, or can represent, I don't want to, I had a, <laughs> had a friend of mine who said, you got to be careful how you say that. So I'll try to be careful how I say it. That could represent prayer, okay? So the idea is prayer is an essential piece of any change process. You're not going to do it by yourself. God is awesome. We have, to, we have to be integrated with him. And then walking in on the right side is the bread. These two loaves of six, 66 books. It's the word. So eat the word and study. So to me, that's uh, prayer, study. And then the last one over on the left-hand side is reveals is this candlestick which brings to my mind let your light so shine before the world that they see your good works and glorify your father is in heaven so do do something adventist education changes and forms the church there can be no more important work than the proper education of our youth one who has been our instructor was speaking to the people. This is in another uh, second quote. He said, the subject of education should be the interest of the whole Seventh-day Adventist body. It should be the whole Seventh-day Adventist body. Now as never before, we need to understand the true science of education. If we fail to understand this, we shall never have a place in the kingdom of God? That, that was... 
I mean, I love Adventist education. I love education. This was a shock to me. It's like, we need that. There's something about education which is more than just our standard thing. We need to, we need to be prayerful and we need to be action-oriented. Uh, study the story of Nehemiah. You want to know what to study? Study the story of Nehemiah. The success attending Nehemiah's efforts shows what prayer, faith, and wise, energetic action will accomplish. Men of prayer should be men of action. Amen. Ellen White, she says it, uh, I, I, will do a, I will do an attempt to quote, those who do but nothing but pray will soon cease to pray. Prayer needs to be mixed with action. And don't forget to mix action with prayer. The story of Esther. At a time when it seemed that no power could save them, Esther and the women associated with her, by fasting, prayer, and prompt action, met the issue and brought salvation to their people. We must live a twofold life of thought and action, of silent prayer and earnest work. And when I read that, it reminded me of this quote Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to that of the Creator individuality, the power to think and to do. I love that. I think about creating things. Anybody like artsy stuff? You know, taking a canvas and some paint and developing something that's beautiful out of a bunch of pieces. And when you pick up the canvas, you're not even sure what you're doing yet. And then it starts to come and it develops. I just think that's beautiful. That's godlike. That's wonderful. What a, what a creative creator. So what kind of action? Okay, whenever possible, students should. Does this sound good? During the school year, engage in what? City mission work. They should do missionary work in the surrounding towns and villages. They can form themselves. They can wait for the school to form them. Is that what it says? No, they can form themselves into bands and do Christian help work. They are not to look forward to a time after the school term closes when they will do some large work for God. Let me ask a question to the non-students. If the students are supposed to do this while they're in school, what do you think after school's over and we're living life we should be doing? Right? The same thing. Okay. So this is to all of us. So I think, number one, organize a team. Students, organize a team. Study together and do city mission work. I mean, you want to be practical? You want to be, this is what you need to be doing. Form a team. Get a group. Don't do it by yourself. And study. Study the prophets. Obey the prophets let me ask you a question. What do you think was Moses human? Yes, okay. Was Paul human? Okay. Uh, who were, think of, you know, Isaiah, Ezekiel. What, made, what was the common thing that made them 
great, great men. What? They were fully committed. They fully committed. Is that something you can do? Yes. Would that require a change in our lives? Yes. Did they do it? Yes. By themselves? No. Through God's help. Right? Amen. I just think this, is, this gets me all fired up. Okay. It's not enough to fill the minds of youth with lessons of deep importance. They must learn to impart what they have received. Students, teach what you've learned. When you learn something, teach it or you'll lose it. I tell you, it's so funny to see, and maybe it's not, it's cute, you know. You see someone who's, uh, you, you give some students, some young students, some things to teach to each other, and they go learn it to teach it, and they come back, wow, I really learned a lot by that. And, and it's like, well, yeah, we know that. It's like, when you teach, that's when you really learn it. It's like the culmination of learning. So how could we actually, you know, thinking about teachers, how do we integrate teaching into our schooling? Homeschoolers, right, homeschool parents, how do we, instead of just teaching our children, how do we get our, to promote our children to teach others? Getting that to happen. So teach. Um, what kinds of action schools? For the strengthening in this line of effort, counsel's been given that in the connection with our larger schools, there should be establishment of small sanitariums. What kind of, do you think she's talking about 3,000 students? You know, one of, one of the, like, the larger schools would be 100 or 200 would be the size. So significant schools. So schools establish lifestyle centers doing, using this natural remedies. This is... This is the education so much needed at the present. If a worldly influence is to bear sway in our school, then sell out to the worldlings and let them take entire control. And those who invested their means in that institutions establish another school to be conducted not upon the plans of popular schools, nor according to the desires of the principals and teachers, but upon the plans which God has specified. Go back to the prophets and do what the prophets say, the simple kind. So, I mean, I think of uh, some of the changes in my life that need to happen, some of the changes in the school, and I know there's these sort of evolutionary uh, growing changes, and so how do we, how, we, we adjust, we tweak and refine, and so you can do those rather quickly, those, those little changes. And then there's those revolutionary changes, the transformation, the restructuring to, for example, to change and move from grades to a different kind of evaluation system. Whoa, right? Uh, those are larger ones that you just don't go, okay, we're gonna do it that way. It takes time. And so when that happens, this is where when they need to be patient. Students need to be patient. Teachers, administrators need to be patient with transformational changes. That takes time. It takes time in the life, right? So what we're really talking about is institutional sanctification. The work of a lifetime. The lifetime of a school. Continually changing. 
getting better and better. In fact, that is the watchword of, of education. You know what it is? Something better. Something better is the watchword of education. The law of all true living, whatever Christ asks us to renounce, he offers in its stead something better. Oh, that's beautiful. It's kind of at the closing of the book education, kind of wrapping things up. He who waits for entire knowledge before he will exercise faith cannot receive a blessing from God. So how do we change Adventist education? I think everyone has a part. I think there is a special part for a youth movement. For young people who see the need for change in education, and they go back and start a small group, and it grows. And they do Adventist education in their own life, irregardless of where they go to school. They do, they do manual labor because it's right, not because someone makes me do it. They do, they do help work around, not because it's scheduled, because it's right, and that's what they're going to do. And they start a group, and two of them decide, we're going to do this together. You win, I'm in. It's a late conversation. It's 11.30 on a Saturday night, and they're like, we gotta stay up all night and figure this out. We're gonna change the world. Come on, let's do it. And stick in there and do it. That's right. I wanna close with this quote. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Margaret Mead, she studies culture, she recognizes that's how things change. I think God desires us to have our education system changed, and I think our biggest influence is at GYC. And I want to scream, but I won't do it because my family's here and I don't want to embarrass them. I'm telling you, this is so awesome. If God is speaking to you, don't Take the Holy Spirit and push him away. Follow through. Grab somebody and say, we're doing it together. Make a small group of committed individuals and make it happen for Jesus, and, and the reward will be out of this world. Oh, man, it will be amazing. It will be. You'll be blown away. Isn't that amazing? Okay, let's pray. Lord, you are amazing, and we just want to be your servants. Lord, I pray that you would give us power to obey, because we can't do this. We've made commitments before, and we've failed on them. But Lord, you've given us precious promises in your scripture. I pray that we claim those that you draw us to. We claim your word, because your word has power, and every promise is the answer wrapped within it. I pray, Lord, that you bless us as we move forward, as we move from here, as we make decisions. May you be our leader in all things. Be with us, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. 
GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.